such a heart to see people heal and I've said this you know I've probably said this every session that I've been up here but I have such a heart that's the passion that I have in my heart is that that we would see people healed that the body of Christ would be equipped to heal the sick that it would no longer be about the man of God but it would be about the God of man and that every single one of us would arise to understand who we are in Christ that we can get to do it but I mean, I think the greater than all of that would be that we see people come into uh, freedom and we see people come into their understanding of, of righteousness and come into their understanding of identity because it's out of that that we have this uh, solid um, foundation in our life that we can actually heal the sick, not for validation, but out of validation, not for identity, but out of uh, our identity. That's what we do. That's what sons and daughters do. And I want to I wanna play, if you get that video ready, Carlos, I, I want to play a video, and this has uh, become a very dear friend of mine. Uh, her name is Gerilyn, and uh, she was radically healed uh, two years ago. I do a healing school every, uh, every uh, third week in May. I'm going home to, to do it a uh, week after, and it's an extremely busy week for me, and I put in about 100 hours that week, and uh, Gerilyn was just radically healed at the school, and today... Gerilyn travels uh, a number of places around the world with me, and um, she's just this one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met. And I'll, I want to play you her video of what happened to her. In the last 25 years, I've had eight different car accidents. Um, I had over 20 surgeries in my body. Each time I got hit from behind, um, rear-ended, it was causing more and more damage to the cervical spine. So the depression, the chronic pain is debilitating, it's paralyzing. You can't ever seem to get ahead of the pain, you can't get out of the pain. So what happens? You become addicted to pain medication. I was completely, unequivocally addicted to Dilaudid. I had Percocet, I had fentanyl patches, I had muscle relaxers, every kind of cortisone and um, steroid injection that could possibly be done in your neck, they did. It takes over your whole life. You have no quality of life. It, that is your life, because that's all you think about. You, oh, is it time to take my next minute pain meds? Finally, because nothing was working, absolutely nothing was working, they put in the spinal cord stimulator. It's a remote control that's attached to a battery in, that's implanted in your hip. It takes the pain away from the brain, so it tells the brain through this medical device of wiring down your spine and in your head that there's no pain to the brain. That worked for a while until probably the eight, I think, car accident. And even though it was on the highest frequency, it wasn't taking the pain away. Decided uh, to come to Bethel. And um, I'd heard about the healing school. It was um, that time to go to the healing rooms. And I was standing and another woman came up out of nowhere. She put her hand on my stomach and said, fire, fire. 
I, I went down in the street. I mean, my head bounced, as they told me later. It was boom! Like, my whole body was jolted. Like, I, I was in the glory of the Lord. But it was red, and it was as if he was doing this, like rearranging my whole spine, all the way down, all the way down. Everything turned white. The brightest, brighter than these candles. The whitest, most glorious light. I laid there, and I had no more pain. I had zero pain. I could move my head. I can move side to side. I could bend my body. I got up and I was completely healed. I felt the battery in the back of my hip because it was so hot. I knew after this healing that it was almost going to be an offense to him if I kept this device in my system. And he said, You need to take this out. They took x-rays, they, could, they, had, they said, we have no explanation, the, the battery was completely shorted out. <laughs> Prior to going in the operating room, the doctor said to me, this is going to be the most difficult surgery because of the scar tissue that's surrounding the battery and all the wiring. The clips are actually clipped to your spinal cord. I said, I pray over you, I pray over the hospital, I pray over this surgery. I said, it's going to be the easiest surgery for you. I woke up two hours later. I had absolutely no pain. Not from anything in the surgery. Not even the incisions hurt me. I've never taken a pain med. I completely am completely off of pain medication. I had no side effects. I had no withdrawal. Because I knew. I knew what he had promised me. He'd already told me it was already done. Isn't that a powerful video? And uh, so today, Geraldine, uh, she travels with me in a number of places, which is just in, uh, with me in France just a, a couple uh, a couple months ago. Uh, France and Austria, and uh, she's just a sweetie, and she's a, she's I know she doesn't look like it, but she's 65, and uh, she's uh, she's a um, you know one of those uh, one of those, it's not a beautician. It's, you know when you go to the dermatologist, they clean you up after you know make you look pretty. And uh, so she's yeah, she's just incredible. I wanted to um, I wanted to talk to you tonight a little bit about a little bit about faith, and I wanted to come at it from a slightly different perspective tonight, of perhaps how you've heard in the past. So just bear with me, and I want you just to to have an open mind. Before we jump into that, I would say I will say is that you know, Jesus, the God didn't send sickness to teach you a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach sickness a lesson. And I tell you, there there needs to be, I just resounded with Liam's word on the Jesus generation, is that there needs to be a body of believers that are going to rise up that would be the Jesus generation that would actually stop tolerating sickness and stop tolerating conditions and disease and that they would actually begin to be the answer. Jesus didn't tell you to pray for the sick. He told you to heal the sick. But we can only do that when we're aware of the one that actually lives in us. Hence, I'm so, I, lo- I so love to teach the message of, uh, of identity and, and righteousness, of, 
of who is in us. You know, I obviously have people that get upset with me with some of the stuff I preach and I've heard it all. And, you know, one person wrote to me and said, well, the day of miracles is over. My friend, I don't, I don't serve or worship the day of miracles. I worship the God of miracles. <coughs> and I can tell you, he's still very active. The power of the cross is still flowing. And we, as we continue to see uh, weekly breakthroughs on so many people. So I wanted to talk a little bit about faith and then we're going to minister to the sick. Because it says in Luke 18, 18, uh, sorry, 18, 8, it says, When Jesus returns, he said, Will he find faith upon this earth? I mean, this is the Bible. When he returns, will he find faith upon this earth? See, what's he looking for? Faith. Very, that was a very easy answer. <laughs> I told you the, the good answer is in the question. Is that when the Son of Man, will he find faith upon this earth? See, he's looking for faith. He's actually looking for someone who would actually believe that he is who he says he is. And I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about the simplicity of childlike faith because I believe that he's looking for faith, but he's looking for someone who would actually believe that he is who he says he is, is that he is good at his job. See, I've got great news for you is that if he's so good at his job, we don't actually need to be good at that good at ours. We just know, need to know who our daddy is. We need to know he's looking for someone that would believe that he is actually the healer. See, what concerns me so much in the body of Christ today is that we are trying to work out faith. We're trying to work out healing and we miss, we miss the miracle. We miss the representation of Jesus or being the representation of Jesus to the world because we are in most cases so introspective trying to work it out, trying to work out, well, is it me? Is it me that's lacking faith? It's not you that's lacking faith. He, what he's looking for is someone that will believe that he is who he says he is. See, in the, in the Old Covenant, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And he'd go into the Holy of Holies as an act of, um, um, he'd go into bring a gift. The gift would be a sacrifice for sin. He'd go into that place too. And you better hope that his gift that he brought in was pure and was holy and was without blemish. Because if that gift wasn't suitable enough, Israel wasn't blessed that year. If he brings a suitable gift, Israel's blessed. If he doesn't, Israel's not blessed. But yet today we take that same we take that same principle and we apply it into the new covenant. We carry that through the new covenant and we think it's about our gift. We think it's about our perfection. We think the miracle is about our behavior and we think it's about whether we've been good enough. But that's not how it works in the new covenant because in the new covenant, our high priest, he walked into the Holy of Holies as the pure gift. And therefore, we are not blessed because of our obedience. Our obedience. We are blessed because of His obedience. Now, I, I didn't say that obedience is not important. But what I did say is this. I'm not blessed 
I, sorry, I'm not obedient to be blessed. I am blessed. Therefore, I'm obedient. And if we actually put Jesus back in the church and we recognize that it's by His faith, it's by His merits, it's by His works that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and that we can receive healing in the time of need. See, I I would like to suggest to you that we have got so concerned with faith as to whether we've got enough faith or not that perhaps we've actually missed the miracle. See, there's an interesting story in 1 Kings chapter 17. uh, uh, Sorry, 1 Kings chapter 18. There's a terrible drought upon the land. And, uh, And Elijah wants that drought broken. And the Word of God tells us that he puts his head between his knees, which is symbolizing that he's praying hard for the breakthrough of wanting to see rain on a drought-filled land. And we know the story. He prays hard and, and uh, he sends his servant out. and He says, go see if there's a car coming. Go see if there's rain. And the servant comes back and says, no, there's nothing. And Elijah repeats the process. He puts his head between his knees again and he prays hard again. And he repeats that process Seven times of putting his head between his knees, praying hard. Or well, see, this is the interesting thing that I find out of that passage. Who was it that put the drought in place? Elijah. Elijah was the one that put the drought in place. It wasn't God. It was Elijah that put the drought in place. But when he wants the drought broken, he prays hard. But when he puts the drought in place, he didn't pray hard. He opens his mouth and he declares that this land will not see rain again until I say. See, isn't it, isn't it interesting that if we don't understand the principles of Scripture, that some people will have more faith in the judgment of God than they will the goodness of God, They pray hard for their miracle. What if it's not about praying hard? It's about opening our mouth and declaring a miracle because some people are just one declaration away from their breakthrough. See, we we have become so we we, we've become so works orientated that, that we think that faith is about saying the right thing and we've got to do everything right. I got something to tell you. We don't behave ourselves into a miracle. And if we could begin to understand this, that it's not about our obedience or our behavior, but it's about Christ's obedience. See, there's only two references in Scripture that I can find that Jesus actually acknowledges that he has not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Isn't it interesting that both cases of these are Gentiles and they're not Jews? Was it because the Gentiles didn't know the law? Because the Jews are under the law and in fact they actually have over 600 laws. See, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not our repentance that brings His goodness. We don't behave ourselves into a miracle. Now, if you want a verse for that, because you don't think it's biblical, I'll tell you, it's Galatians 3.5, and it says, So again, I ask, does God give you the Spirit 
and the working of miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? <coughs> See, God is looking for someone that will believe that He is who He says He is. So what if faith is actually more simpler than we ever thought? See, I am the healing director for Bethel Church. I have over 980 volunteers that work for me in the healing rooms alone. And I have about another 900 that work. We have nine services every, Sunday, uh, every weekend now. Um, from Friday night to Sunday night, we have nine services. I have another 900 thereabouts that operate. We minister to the sick every single service without fail. That if you want prayer for ministry for the sick, you will get prayer. There are people there to pray for you. See, I've discovered something, and this is what I've discovered, is that I am the director for Bethel Church. I am the director for the healing ministries. I actually get paid to heal the sick. I have a full-time job of ministering to the sick, and I get paid for it. That's how I earn my living, is by ministering to the sick, because I am the director of healing ministries with a capital D, that means director, that means that I am in charge. <laughs> now this is what I've become to discover, is that I am in charge of the healing ministries, but I've got something encouraging to tell you, is that I don't actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know how to do my job, and it's the best job that I could ever have because I don't have to have performance reviews because I'm not trying to get good at my job because I don't want to be good at my job because if I come good at my job, then if I become so good at my job, then I don't need him. And I tell you, that leaves me in such a freeing place. It leaves me in such a freeing place. It's like, it's awesome. It's like I get paid to be no good at my job and I'm the director. I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm actually quite happy because I don't want to get any better at knowing what I'm doing. I want to stay in that place of simplicity, of childlike faith, of knowing that he's good at what he does and I'm going to hang out with him and he resides in me and it allows the power of the cross to flow through me so freely. I went into a staff meeting, this is a number of years ago, with um, how many of you heard of Pastor Bill Johnson? And uh, so I went into a staff meeting one day, and I, I'd only just got this revelation. And I'm like, wow, oh, I wonder if Bill knows this. <laughs> and I, I went into the staff meeting, and I was, you know, I went early, because you know, Bill was normally there early, and I thought, man, if I go in, hopefully he'll be there by himself, and I can get his ear for a minute. And, and he's sitting in there that morning just by himself, and I went up, and I said, Pastor Bill. I said, I got a revelation. I said, you got to hear it. And he goes, oh, I look forward to this. And I said, Pastor Bill, I said, I am the director of healing ministries for Bethel Church, right? Yes. And I said, well, here's my revelation. I said, I'm actually no good at my job. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And I get paid to be no good at my job. And he goes, <laughs> makes two of us. <laughs> Man, I just wish there was one thing I could teach Bill. <laughs> I haven't been able to teach him anything. It's like he just kind of knows it all. <laughs> See, I, I so love faith. I, I, think that, I think that faith is 
is so important that faith is the currency of heaven. The woman with the issue of blood, she broke Mosaic law to get to Jesus, but it didn't seem to matter to heaven. See, because faith is so powerful that it sees beyond our imperfections. And sometimes we are, we are focusing more on trying to behave ourselves into breakthrough because we don't realize it's not about your merits, it's about his merits, it's about what he's paid for. See, I can't help but wonder whether as a body of Christ we have, we have so overemphasized faith that we have actually missed it because faith is not about faith in your faith. And some people's faith is more in their faith. And some people's faith is more in their principles. And some people's faith is more in their secret prayer. They're like, just tell me how to pray. My friend, it's not about a secret prayer. It's not about faith in faith. It's about faith in Christ. I'm not trying to work. I don't have a little secret black book here that I got the secret prayers in. A few years ago, I was training my healing room workers uh, one, uh, one Wednesday night. And there's this, there's this engineer lady, and she's super sweet, but she's got such a logical mind. You know, she's got an engineer's mind. She's amazing. She's on my team, and she's doing so well. But, and she comes up, and she's, she's got a clipboard and a piece of paper. Right? And, and I finished the training for the night and I was just praying, I was praying with someone and she's there. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, she's right, right there. And she has a clipboard and paper and she goes, I'm just listening to what you're saying. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, I'm actually writing your prayer down. But I, she interrupts me and she goes, but I, I miss what you said after dear Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me. I said, It's not the prayer that brings healing. It's not the words. It's not the secret formula. It's not faith in faith. It's faith of Christ. It is us believing that He is who He says He is. So stop writing down the secret prayer because there isn't one and just be childlike about it and begin to believe that He's good at His job. And if He's good at His job, you don't need to be good at yours. So just relax. She goes, point taken. <laughs> See, faith is, faith is not introspective. Faith is not, I don't know about you, but I've never gone in and had a look. I wonder if I've got enough faith and gone in and it's coming out like, I'm full of faith. It's like, faith is not introspective. In fact, every time I go in and have a look, I feel like I come out as a, with a shortfall because my eyes, faith is not navel-gazing. Faith is looking to Jesus. And it says in Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of... Right, there was a trick question. There was a trick statement. Because our, in that verse, is italicized, which means it was never in the original manuscript. See, it doesn't say... Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and actually should say, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. 
See, what if we put Jesus back in the center of the church? What if we stop worrying about how much faith we've got? Because it's not about looking to see how much faith you've got. It's about looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. See, what, what is our positional seating? What is, our, what is the identity of the believer? We'll be talking about this all weekend. What is our identity? In Christ. It is in Christ and Christ alone. See, if we are in Christ, then my faith is not in Christ. My faith is of Christ. See, we want to know, like, we want to see the unusual miracles. You will see the unusual miracles when you recognize that your positional seating is in Christ and you begin to operate with the faith of Christ that you're not looking introspective. It's like that you are so aware of Christ and the one that you are in and the one that he, that is in you that you begin to operate with this unusual level of faith because he never lacked faith. He is the one that is full of faith. I was at a conference last year and it was a, it was a Friday night. It was a weekend. It was a power and love with Todd White. And, um, and I'm doing the Friday night service at the Friday night meeting. And I, I just love the unusual miracles. I love the crazy stuff. I just love that stuff where it's like, because it's not my job to work out how a miracle happens. If you try to work out how a miracle happens, I'd like to suggest you've already missed the miracle. Because faith is not logic. That's that's not how it works. Think, think about this. I'll come back to the testimony in a moment. Think about this. It's like, faith to me is like a romance. That I just become so in love with Jesus. Like, think, think it. Like, if it, if, if it worked by logic, if your romance worked by logic, did you know that the mouth is the most disease-carrying part of the entire body? That you've got millions and millions and millions of bacterias and bugs and what have you that live in there? See, you don't think about that when you're like, it's like, come on, my face, get it on. <laughs> it's like you're not thinking about that in your, rom- in your moment of romance. And it's just the same about faith. Stop worrying about your faith and get your eyes on Jesus. I'm coming back to the testimony in a second. <laughs> See, no one, no one ever came to Jesus and said, "Oh, Jesus, I, you know, like, <clears throat> I think I've got enough faith now. Now will you heal me?" And no, no one ever came to Jesus and said, "Oh, Jesus, I, I, I think, I think I've got enough faith." Or last time I checked, I did. I think I do. Like, would it be okay that you use me now? See, the woman with the issue of blood, she never came to Jesus and said, Well, Jesus, I think I've got enough faith. I think I can now be used. I think. I think I can be. I think I can be healed. But yet Jesus turns to her and he says to her, after she's healed, Woman, great is your, um, your, sorry, woman, your faith has made you whole. 
But it wasn't a question of faith. She never came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I've got enough faith now, I think, to be healed. Why then did she come to Jesus? She came to Jesus because she saw Jesus as healing people. It's like, oh, look at that, he's healing people. I want me some of that. I, I, I'm going to go to him. And she comes to Jesus and she's healed. See, let me propose this to you. Is that if we just got our eyes so fixed on Jesus and not on whether we had enough faith, that when we see him and we see him in his grace, it's like, oh, man, Jesus heals people. The cross is real. It's like, I want me some of that. That when we get our eyes on Jesus, seeing him in his grace, he turns and he says, woman, grace your faith. But it wasn't a question of faith. We see him in grace. He sees us in faith. <coughs> my, my, father is a, uh, my father is a builder. He lives in New Zealand. And he grew up as a, you know, he's been a builder all his life. And changed, he changed uh, tracks once and he's come back. And he's 75 or something. I forgot. <laughs> he's 70 something. And he and he does he does trellis manufacturing and garden gates, installing. He could install. He could dig a hole faster than I could. I mean, he's stronger than me. And uh, so, but when I when I was five, I'd go to my father's construction site. My mum my mum would pick me up from kindergarten and she'd take me there before five because we start school. I don't know what's like here, but we start school on our fifth birthday on the day of our five when we start school. So I'd go, you know, four and a half, five, I'd go to my father's construction site. And my father would say to me, he says, Christy says, I'm so, I'm so glad you're here today. And I said, oh, why, why is that, Dad? And he goes, I'll tell you why I'm so glad you're here today. He said, I'm so glad you're here today because I don't, I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't have shown up. And he says, so eat your lunch. I'll be my Vegemite sandwiches. <laughs> And that's all I ever ate from 0 to 15 was Vegemite sandwiches. <laughs> I, used to, I used to eat it by the spoon. I used to put it in hot water and dissolve it and drink it. And I, I used to put it on my wheat bakes. <laughs> like, I just lived off Vegemite. That's all I ever had. It's just Vegemite. I've eaten hundreds of jars of Vegemite in my life. So I'd be sitting there, I'd eat my, I'd eat my Vegemite sandwiches and my box of raisins and you know, a piece of fruit or something, and I, I can remember the lunchbox, this little yellow lunchbox that had compartments in it, you know. And I, I'd eat my lunch, and my father would say to me, have you finished? And I'm like, yes, Dad. And he goes, well, let's go do some work. And I'm like, I used to love going to my father's construction site. It was like the joy of my life at that age. And I just still want now. When I go home, I just go to his workshop and play with his tools. I mean, it's just awesome. So I, so I walk into... I'm walking, I'm sitting at the back on here at a trailer, um, like a toolbox on wheels, you know, like a, like, what do you call it, like a caravan, you know, like, it's a bit like a caravan that had a little deck on it, and there's those tools in there. And I can remember sitting on the edge of the deck eating lunch, and he'd come and he'd say, have you finished? I'm like, yes, and he goes, let's get to work. And I'm like, okay, I'm like four, right? And he goes, we've got some um, timber over there, it might be like a, you know, four or five, six meter lengths of wood. And he goes, 
You pick up one end and I'm going to pick up the other. And we're going to move that wood across the yard and we're going to put it down on the house. And son, I don't know what I would have done if you didn't show up. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, he, and he'd put me on one end and he'd get on the other and he'd say, on the count of three, I want you to lift. And he'd count me down, three, two, one, lift. And we'd lift the wood and we would march that wood across the section to put it to the house. And like I'm putting in a big effort. I'm just holding this piece of wood and, and we put it down. Did you know that it was probably only about 10 years ago that I discovered why my father was never at the other end? He was always in the middle. <laughs> He was always in the middle because he knew I didn't have the ability to lift my end alone. And when we put it down at the other end, he'd go, wow, look at you. He'd, show, he'd say this, he'd go, show me your muscles. And I'm like, Mr. Puniverse, show me your muscles. And I'd flex and he'd go, my son, my son, he said, you are starting to bulge. Your muscles are getting bigger and bigger every day. Let's go move some more. And I'm like, yes. Let's do it. I'm like, you know, I want to go bigger and I want to go heavier. And it's like, see, have we, have we so misrepresented faith that we think it's like a muscle? And it's like, I've got to grow my muscle. I've got to grow my muscle. What if it's not our muscle? What if it's not our muscle? What if it's his muscle? See, grace is opposed to works, but it's not opposed to putting in an effort. In fact, the more effort I put in, the more I fall in love with him, the more effort I want to put in. And it's like, it wasn't my muscle that moved the wood, but my father makes me look like a genius because it looks he makes me look like I'm the one that moved it. And I'm like, yes. It's the same in healing the sick. He makes me look like the effort. He's like, oh, great is your faith, young man. Man, look at those muscles. You're getting so strong. You've seen some incredible miracles. See, the Father makes us look like the genius for seeing extraordinary miracles, but it was never my faith. It's the faith of Christ. I just know who I am and who I'm in. So let's go back to the miracle. Don't forget. There are about 880 people there that night. And I'm just going after, I'm doing some words of knowledge and I'm just calling out stuff and having some fun. And the Lord drops this word of knowledge in my head that's so audible, it's so, so clear and loud that I actually thought it was over the PA system. I mean, I'm thinking everybody heard that. Right? And I'm realizing it's like. And then, but I'm like, and then I realized it wasn't over the PA, it was like in my head. And I'm like, and this is my discussion with God. God, I'm not saying that. Because this is church. I'm not going to say that. I can't say that. That's a word. And I ignored it. And I, I moved on. And it came again, like really loud. I'm like, oh, I think God's trying to make a point, you know? And then this is my internal discussion. I'm like, 
God, if you're so that keen on saying it, why don't you say it? <laughs> this is all happening over a few seconds. You know, I'm like, you say it. I'm not going to say it. Like, why don't you say it? Everyone will hear you. And then they can get upset with you for saying that word. And it's like, they're not gonna, if I say it, they're going to get upset with me. And I'm like, I want to say it. And I ignored it and I moved on again. See, the word came the third time. And the third time I'm like, okay, God, okay, I give it. Actually, he puts me in some incredibly humbling situations sometimes. It's like, oh. My intern from Newcastle, oh, and I'll tell you that that's the punchline. Remind me about what my intern said in Newcastle. So I'm like, okay, God, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I said, there's somebody here that i got to work. And I said, and I'm, I'm going to call out a condition in a minute, and you can just stand up and other people stand up. You can just stand up with the sore backs and the pains, you know, like, you just stand up with them. I'm super self-conscious, right? And I said, there's somebody here, and uh, you've got a problem in your anus. <laughs> and there's someone here with a sore back, and it's like, I just, I'm like, sure, done. Like, that's the end of that. I don't even want to know or see if they got healed. Like, <laughs> Well, that, that night we had like 550 people healed. And so everyone that got healed comes to the front. Right? And I love to get testimonies. Right? So I, like, I start over here. I'm like, well, no, first I say... How many people got healed tonight that you had your condition for more than six months? Right? <coughs> One year, two years, five years, 10, 15, 20. I'm the longest I've ever seen is 87. Wow. Right? But that night we had 40 people that were healed of over 40 years of conditions. Right? And I mean, we obviously don't have time to interview all 550 that got healed, but I'm like, well, I'll start with the 40. So I start to my left. I'm like, sir, down there, with your hand up. I said, how many years? And he goes, 57. And I went to say what happened. And as clear as the word anus in my head, <laughs> I hear, don't ask him. <laughs> it's that clear, don't ask him. I, so I'm like, yay God, 57 years, excellent, excellent, yay, yay. And what happened to you? You know, what happened to you? And I, I just, I move on. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, like, I wonder what that was about. He's my driver. He's my driver for the conference. So as soon as I get to the car, I jump in the car and I'm like, spill the beans. I said, what happened to you? And he goes, huh? He goes, I'm the anus guy. <laughs> and I'm like, I knew something was up. I knew something was up. Trust me, I don't want to see it. <laughs> and I said, what happened? And he goes, Chris, he said, I was born without one. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, he's kind of got my attention. I'm like, you know, I'm a logical person. Like... How do you do stuff? You know, like. <laughs> and 
he goes, I had a colostomy at birth. And he said, I had um, uh, five major surgeries over eight years. Five major reconstructive bowel surgeries. Obviously, the first one is the colostomy on. He said, then they created an artificial anus. Don't get upset with me about the word anus. Some of you look at me like, stop saying that. Say it. Just turn to someone next to you and say, anus. <laughs> it's just a body part. <laughs> hey, if God can say it in church, I can. I mean, come on. You're used to hearing words called out in church about sore backs and do you not think God cares about the anus? So my intern told me that I've got a ministry, I've got a great ministry in healing small body parts. Now I lost track of my story. Your face is putting me off. Some of you are. I'm so offended that he would say that. It's like, I didn't, God did. So, okay, but I know, I know where I was now. So I said, well, so he said, I had five major surgeries over eight years. I had a colostomy put in a bird. And he said, and I'm the first person in America to have a reverse colostomy at the age of eight. He said, because they constructed an anus, an artificial anus, and they re redesigned my bowels, and they connected it up, turned it on, and when it was working, I have another surgery, and they take the they take the colostomy back off, and they close the hole up, and you know how it goes, you know. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And he goes, Chris, you don't get it, do you? I'm like, dude, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm still stuck on that word, you know. Like, <laughs> and he goes. Because of the surgeries, he said, I'm numb from my waist to my chest. He said, I've had no feeling in that entire area my whole life. Since birth. He said, you could jab a knife in me and I wouldn't feel it. Like, I'm dead all around here. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, so I am tonight. And he goes, the man put his hand on me. Like, obviously, not as... <laughs> And he said, and when he touched my stomach, he said, I felt fire shoot through my stomach. And he said, like that. He said, I got all my feeling back in here. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And he goes, you still don't get it, do you? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Am I missing something? And he goes, yes. He said, because of all the bowel surgeries that I have in my stomach, he said, I don't have any abs. He said, my abs, it's not that they don't work. He said, they're not there. He said, they were all cut out. And I'm like, what happened? And he goes, check this out. He goes, I got a six pack. <laughs> he got an instant six pack on the spot. I'm like... I mean, how many of you want that miracle? <laughs> Dissolve. What do you do? And he goes, you still don't get it, do you? 
And I'm like, dude, I, I'm lost, you know, like, help me. And he goes, I, I'm not being rude, I'm just telling you our conversation. This is the conversations I have with people. You've got to hear some of the conversations I have with people. And he goes, you still don't get it. And I'm like, tell me. He goes, Chris, he said, for 57 years, he said, I haven't been able to do poop. He said, because I can't do it by choice. He said, do you not think that you need abdominal muscles to push it out? No, no, oh, yeah. He goes, I can't. He said, I am completely in no control of my pooper. He said, I have no control. It goes where it wants, and I can't stop. And I'm like, oh. We're driving home. Back to his taking me in my hotel. And I'm like, good night. I said, see you tomorrow. And I'm like, looking forward to seeing what happens overnight. <laughs> he gets in, he picks me up in the morning. And I get in the car and I'm like, hey, hey. <laughs> I said, how's down under? <laughs> and he goes, Chris. He said, I got up this morning. He put a smile on his face. He goes, I got up this morning. It's the first time in 57 years I sat on the great, great white throne and pushed that stuff out. <laughs> you wouldn't be so serious if it was your pooper. You, you, would, be, you would be a happy camper. See, there's a difference between faith and logic. See, logic tries to work out how the miracle is going to happen. That's not our job. Because if you try to work out how the miracle is going to happen, you've already missed the miracle. It's not, it's not my job, it's not your job to work out how a deaf ear opens. It's not your job, it's not my job to work out how a blind eye opens, how a tumor falls off someone, how someone gets an instant six-pack, or how they get their boob fixed. I mean, that's just, that's not our job. Our job is actually to believe that he's good at his job. When he returns, will he find faith upon the earth? He's just looking for someone that's got their eyes upon Jesus. One of the, the biggest questions I get today is like, well, I don't see healing. Do I not have enough faith? It's not about, it's not about whether you've got enough faith. It's not about how big your God is. I'm sorry, it's not about how big your faith is. It's about how big your God is. See, how big is your God? See, I think that the, the, the secret to operating, I, I want to see the body operate in extraordinary faith. I mean, I just love faith. I want to see a body that's so faith-filled that the day will come, that the, the sick will come to church and not one sick person will leave that the body would be healed. That's, that's what I'm going for. One day, I'm gonna, one day I think I'm going I'm to leave church. I can't travel like this all my life. It's pretty tiring. One day I'm going to leave church. And it's going to be a faith-filled church. It's going to be a Jesus-centered church. We're going to get so lost in Jesus and in His wonder and in His beauty that faith is going to become the byproduct. That we're going, to have, we're going to have radical healings and I'm going to build a culture in that church where sickness has no chance of standing and walking into the doors. Right? I, I, I love faith. 
But here's what I here's what I believe is the secret to great faith. Stop worrying about your faith. <laughs> because it's not faith in faith, it's the faith of God. It's faith you put your faith in him, you operate the faith of him. What if we took our eyes off faith and we got them on him? Because it's not how big your faith is, it's about how big your God is. See, I, I'm right now. I'm in. I'm in this crazy season of a, of new responsibilities, and I, I I travel 150 days. I'm away 150 days from my wife a year. I'm doing like um, I'm doing. Last year I did 200,000 miles. Right? What's that? 300 and something thousand kilometers flying. Right? It's it's insane. See, my wife. See, I, I've had someone say to me, well. You know, pastor, right? you must have, you must have great faith in your wife to behave yourself while you're away. <laughs> and don't, don't, don't ask me that. I'm probably going to whack you. Because yeah. right? I don't have, I don't have great faith in my wife. I've got a great wife. She doesn't have great faith in me because she has a great husband. She told me once. <laughs> Man, I can't just, I can't wait to see my wife. I just, I have little pieces. You know, on Monday, baby. For six days and I'm off again. <laughs> LA, San Diego. I'm for six days and then I'm off to Indonesia, Singapore. I'm coming home, baby. On oh, there's the photo. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife. I don't have great faith in my wife. I have a great wife, Amen. and I have a great God. I have a big God, and as I begin to look at my God. My faith, the faith becomes the byproduct. It's not something that I'm trying to like, oh, beat my drum and beat my chest and like pump up my faith. Yeah. See, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. It doesn't say faith comes by reading. Isn't it interesting that the disciples were full of faith, but they didn't have this to sit around the campfire and read? Oh, hey, Peter. Hey, why don't you read us from the book of Peter tonight and build our faith? <laughs> to John. You know, John, this is Peter talking. John, why don't you read us from the book of John tonight and encourage and build our faith? They never had this. Because this doesn't say that faith comes by reading. Please, I'm not bashing the Bible. I love my Bible. I love the Word of God. I quote scriptures all the time. I feast on scriptures all the time. But faith doesn't come by reading. It comes by hearing the Word of God. It comes by seeing testimonies. It comes, obviously, by reading testimonies. That's what I actually like to read out loud. Because I hear 
myself sharing those testimonies. I love to feast myself on testimonies. I love to feast myself on the Word of God because faith becomes the byproduct. It's not internal. You guys doing alright? We're going to close in just a few minutes. I lost where I was was going. Just give me a second. (coughs) I so so love faith. But not as much as I love him. My my job, our job as healing ministers is to get our eyes on the altar and the perspective of faith. You operate with, you begin to operate with the faith of Christ. It's such a freeing place because I'm not being introspective trying to work out whether I've got enough faith because like I've already said, it's not my job to work out how the miracle happens. It's not your job to work out how the miracle happens. Your job is to put out your fat little hand upon someone and just believe that he is who he says he is, and that the heaven, that the kingdom comes when you put out your hand. You put your hand. You don't. You don't look at someone and go, "Well, I wonder how he's going to get his hand back." <laughs> One of my interns, I, I was in, in in Brazil, and he comes to me and he goes, "Hey, uh, Chris," he goes, uh, "He said there's a man over there that's deaf, totally deaf." Right? I knew the man. Right? I didn't tell him what I knew. I knew that he's got an ear, he's not just deaf, all the inner ear was removed because of a brain tumour. Right? The least you know, the better. Yeah. Right? I knew that because it's the pastor's father. Right? And he told me, hey, my dad's over there, can you make sure that you pray for him? He's deaf, he's not just deaf, everything's gone, all the inner ear's been cut out. Right? I'm thinking, oh, what's she going to tell me that? <laughs> right? And so he comes to this young man comes to me and he goes, hey, there's a man over there, deaf. And I'm like, yeah? Really? Hmm. I mean, I knew. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, and, and I'm going to pray for him. And I'm like, good. And he goes, but I want to ask you something. He said, God told me to kiss him. And if I kiss him, he'll be healed. He goes, what would you do? And I'm like, pack her up, baby. <laughs> I said, I'd kiss him, but I'd also do this. I'd tell tell your leader. Because your leader wants to watch. And he goes, okay, I'm telling you. And I'm like, I'm coming. (laughs) And he walks up and he goes like this. It's a a more mature man. He's probably like 80 or something. And he looks at him and he goes, "Um, I feel like the Lord told me that if I kiss you, you'll be healed. Is that okay? I I said, I said, ask him if it's okay. He goes, would it be okay if I kiss you? And the man goes, sure. He leans forward and he kisses him on the forehead and boom, his ear opens up. I I, I was in in another country and my team member came to me and goes, hey Chris, there's a lady over there that's blind from birth. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I feel like the Lord told me to spit in her eyes. What would you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I said, the first thing I'd do is I'd ask her, can I spit in your eyes? <laughs> no one try and give me a wet willy, right? Like, 
go spit in my eyes and I'm gonna push you away. Like, this is disgusting, right? Like, I want to know you heard from God if you're going to do something disgusting to me, right? And I said, so I, I'd ask her, and I said, and I'd also tell me as your leader, because I want to watch what you're going to do. And he goes, okay. And I'm like, I'll be there just a second. Let me just finish with this person. I finish with the person, and I, I go, oh, she's never seen from, from, she's like late 30s, never seen. And he walks up, and he stands in front of the lady, and he goes, um, I feel like the Lord told me to spit in your eyes. Would that be okay? And I'm thinking, oh, this is so embarrassing. You know, like, and this is this is the way I think. I mean, is he going to go, or is he going to? Go, ah, he gonna, like, I, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm like, this is just going to be fascinating. You know, just, right? See, so he walks up and he goes, can I? Can, would it be okay that I spit in your eyes? And she goes. Spit away. Right? Great woman. Like, I'm not going to tell you that. Trust me, right? And she goes, spit away. And I'm like, oh. Now it's good. And he goes like this. He goes. And her eyes open like that. Flying from birth. And she's instantly on the spot healed. See, faith, faith and logic are two different things. I'm going to close with this verse and come in for a third attempt at landing <laughs> and circle the airport. <laughs> I just keep telling you that we're about to close. It just gives you a little bit of hope. Hold on a couple more minutes. <laughs> See, the angel of the Lord comes to Zacharias. And he says to Zacharias, he says, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. And you call him John. And Zacharias says, why that ain't going to happen? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I'm pretty close though. He goes, that ain't going to happen. I'm like, she's 90. She's past the age of childbearing. <laughs> you know what, Angel? She's so old, we don't even practice anymore. <laughs> and the angel takes some tape out of his bag. That's what the Bible says, not the tape. But the Bible does say that he mutes him. And he mutes Zacharias for nine months. Because I know what would have happened if he didn't get muted. Yeah. He would have gone home and Elizabeth would have said, Hi Zacharias, did you have a good day at work today? And Zacharias would have said, mm, the cra- I had the craziest thing happen today. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. And she'd go, tell me. Oh, but I had an okay. I had an encounter with an angel. And the angel said, you are going to get pregnant. And I told him, <laughs> Yes, the old fool, she's too old. <laughs> See, the angel needed to shut his mouth that he didn't go home and talk, him, talk Elizabeth or talk himself out of the miracle. <coughs> Life and death is not in the power of God, it's in the power of your tongue. What are we declaring? 
What are we speaking over situations? What are we speaking over circumstances in your life? See, if you've got, my mother used to say to me, if you've got nothing good to say, then say nothing. And I'm like, all right, I'll say nothing. She says, don't open your mouth until you've got something good to say. And I'm like, okay, mom. What are you declaring? Because sometimes your miracle is just one declaration away. See, in the same chapter, the angel of the Lord then comes to Mary. And says to Mary, Mary, you are going to bear a son. And his name's going to be Jesus. Mary questions God. Why doesn't Mary get a mashup that Zacharias does? She asks a genuine question. She's got a more genuine question. I mean, Zacharias and Elizabeth didn't have sex. Mary's a virgin. And Mary says, how can this be? Genuine question. How can this be? I've not been with man. I'm a virgin. And the angel of the Lord turns to Mary and says, this is, that was the question. How can this be? Think about this. How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel of the Lord says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive. Now, I know, I know what I'd be doing if I was Mary. I'm like... I said, I, I would say this, like... I, 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 can I ask another question? I, I think you misunderstood me. I don't think you heard it when I said that I'm a virgin. And the Holy Spirit would say... Oh, I'm sorry, the angel would say... The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive. And I'm like, can, can I ask one more? Like, please. And I think that God is so graceful, he'd say, okay. And I say, I, you didn't hear me, I'm a virgin. I haven't been with a man. I don't know how I'm going to get pregnant. And the Holy Spirit would say again, the, I mean the angel would say again, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to conceive. See, God detests being put on trial, but He doesn't mind a genuine question. She asks a genuine question. She gets an answer that makes absolutely no sense to Mary. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I know what I'd be asking. It's like, could you at least tell me what that's going to look like? <laughs> Like, that's just weird, angel. Like, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive. And Mary says this asks a genuine question. She gets an answer that makes no sense. And she says this Be it unto me according to your word. That's faith. See, Zacharias operated in logic and he gets his mouth shut 
Mary asks a question that she gets an answer that makes no sense and she goes, be it unto me according to your word. Mm. What would happen if we put Jesus back in church? What would happen if we put the simplicity of faith back in our lives? That we kicked out logic and we just believe that our hands are loaded and he lives in us and it's the, if the, the, and the kingdom's voice activated. That you put out your hand and pray, not trying to work out how it happens. Because if you're trying to work out how the miracle happens, you've already missed the miracle. Are you guys getting anything? Or am I just having fun? I tell you, we have to put the simplicity of childlikeness. I have children that operate in my healing rooms. I have a little boy that operates in my healing rooms. This is him on the front page. He has Down syndrome. This is my book out there. He has Down syndrome. He can't even hardly speak. And he can, he can say this. He puts his little stubby down hand on someone and he goes, be healed. And they get healed just like that. Because God's looking for someone that believes that he is who he says he is. And children don't question their father. Children believe that they can do what their father says they can do. And when we grow up, we become so logic-orientated that we mature out of childlikeness. I would like to suggest to you that we need to mature back into childlikeness. Because children don't have a problem with faith. They just believe that they can do what Dad says. I tell you, when my kids were young, I could tell them anything and they would believe me. I came home from work one day and my daughter goes, where you been for lunch? Where'd you, where'd you go today, Dad? And I'm like, I went to the moon for lunch. And she goes, oh, that's so cool. Can I come next time? <laughs> I mean, they just believe what Dad says. I mean, they're a little older now. They know better. And I repented of my sin. <laughs> See, how good is our father? And I think that we have we have so misrepresented faith in the body of Christ that it has become more about faith than it has about Jesus. And I think it's interesting, and here is the final land. <laughs> in Peter, I don't remember if it's first or Peter, second Peter, but in Peter it says this. It says that you may grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. It does not say that you may grow in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that you may grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when I feed myself on how good He is, and I come to a greater understanding of His grace, and I become a greater understanding of the knowledge of Jesus, faith becomes the byproduct. I'm not walking around like, well, I've got to build my faith. I'm walking around like I'm just going to look at Jesus. And I'm going to feast on Jesus. And I'm going to feast on His miracles. I'm going to feast on His word. I'm going to feast on testimonies. I'm going to hang out with people that have been healed. I want to hear their testimony. I've listened to that testimony of Geraldine probably a hundred times. 
I've heard the testimony of the anus man like hundreds of times from me sharing it and every time I every time I share it something builds up within me and I'm like I am hearing the testimony of Jesus and my faith is increasing. I tell you, church, it's time that we get our eyes out of our navel because it is not faith in faith. This is faith of Christ. And the more we put Jesus back in the center of the church, the more that we will see breakthrough. It is not your lack of faith that you are not seeing miracles. Get your eyes off it. Get it on Jesus. And watch the faith build as a byproduct. Amen? Amen. All right, let's, you know, there's just a very little point in having Bible study without Bible experience. Bible study without Bible experience leads to more religion. So let's have some, let's have some Bible experience. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, how is going to help you?